This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your soul. So to go over the story again and again, to remind ourselves again and again, to keep him in focus all through every season and whatever's going on, whatever the details are around those seasons, whatever circumstances come our way in the middle of those seasons, we consider him always it's important to just continue to consider the lord over and over in the niv version this is the message we read but in the niv version that part when it says when you find yourselves flagging in your faith go over that story again in the niv it says consider him over and over continually considering him How often are we guilty of leaving him out? And it may not be an intentional snub where we just sort of in an obnoxious or belligerent way say, well, I know he's available to me, but I'm just going to leave him out. No, it's more like we just get to doing our own thing and just kind of forget to include him, right? And it's really not that he needs to be included in what we're doing is that we need to constantly acknowledge that he's doing something and figure out how we can include ourselves in that that will change the focus if we see it that way so we're in a race now remember this race story i heard one time about two farmers who had neighboring farms in the country and In the county they lived in, they had an annual county fair, and the highlight of the fair was a horse race. Well, there were several farmers that brought their horses, and they would just bring their farm hands, you know, pick a farm hand to ride for them. And all the other farmers just had, like, work horses. So they did it for fun, but they knew they weren't going to win because their horses were not fast. They were just big you know, big uh, stocky workhorses. But these two farmers, Farmer Dale and Farmer Pete, they each had a horse that was a fast horse. It was a a racing type horse, sleek and strong and built for that. And so they're the ones who always would really compete in this race. And for several years in a row, Farmer Pete's horse had won and it had gotten the best of Farmer Dale. And he's trying to figure out how can I 
set this thing up to where my horse will win because he had confidence in his horse. He thought he had the best horse. He had the fastest horse, but he kept coming in second. So he concluded it has to be the rider. So he goes out, and rather than getting one of his farmhands to ride, he goes out and recruits and hires a professional jockey to ride his horse. And he says, this is it. This will do it. And so the fair comes, and the race is time for the race, and they line up, and the starting gun sounds, and the horses take off. And sure enough, these two horses put a lot of distance between them and the rest of the pack, and they get out. And there's a section of the, the course that goes through some woods and a lot of bends and turns and across a creek. And these horses get neck and neck side by side going through there, and they get tangled up with each other. They get too close, and both horses trip and fall and roll and throw their riders off. But fortunately, the riders and the horses jump back up. Nobody's hurt. They jump on and take off again. And so they're coming in, they come around the last turn, everybody's cheering, everybody's watching. And sure enough, Farmer Dale's rider starts pulling away, he puts two, three links between him and Farmer Pete's guy and crosses the finish line. And for the first time in years, he's won. And he's cheering and he's dancing and he's high-fiving everybody around him. And Farmer Pete comes over to him to acknowledge, puts his hand out in congratulations. They're walking toward the horses and... Farmer Dale stops, and all of a sudden he drops his head. He starts to cry. Farmer Pete says, well, what's wrong with you? You finally did it. You're the winner. And he just raises his head up, tears run down his face and points, and they all look. And sure enough, it's his jockey that won, but he's on Farmer Pete's horse. <laughs> Because when they rolled on the ground, they were just so determined to get up quick and jump on a horse, they each jumped on the wrong horse. And he lost again. Well, I'm going to try real hard to, to work that into a good illustration for what I just thought it was a cool story. But we are in a race. Now, we're not in a horse race. I want to qualify that up front. We're not in a horse race. We're in more like a turtle race. And we talk about long obedience in the same direction. We talk about walking the kingdom path. We talk about a methodical, very disciplined approach to discipleship, to following the Lord. I think that if you get in a horse race in this business of living in the kingdom and serving God and serving humanity that you're subject to lose focus somewhere because you're just busy, busy, busy getting the stuff done and you're not really paying attention to the, the ground level details of what it takes to win in this race. You have to get up every morning and you have to focus on the Lord. You have to seek out what it is that He's doing you have to walk in obedience all along the way so that he can show you what your role is in his story. We, we've said this over and over and over. Continue to say it. Continue to remind ourselves over it, of it. And that is that 
life is not about me having my own story. Life is not about me formulating my own plan, doing my own thing, putting together my own agenda for life. That's, that is the backwards way to live. The way that we will be successful in winning the race is if we understand that all of life is about God having a story, about God doing a work, about God occupying the earth, about God putting together a plan for humanity, and then for me to figure out through a process of long obedience every day, what is my role as a character in his story? That's where we'll find satisfaction. That's where we'll find victory. That's where we'll realize that we can stay focused, is if we handle it in that way, in a pathway of obedience. So for a couple weeks, we talked about the holidays. We talked about holidays in general. Two weeks ago, did a little bit of a history lesson on some of them. That was kind of fun and informative. And then last week, we talked specifically about Thanksgiving. And I still want to follow up a little bit on that, because it's kind of hit me um, harder, not, not really in a negative way, but uh, with more of an attentive attitude this year than it ever has before, this business of the holidays and how we handle the holidays and what the holidays mean to people. And sometimes I think you'll have to agree it's a little bit of a struggle to see much difference between how Christian people approach the holidays and how non-Christian people approach the holidays. And the, the attitudes and the mentality toward it and the traditions that we carry on and just the way we generally view and think and function through the holidays. It's, sometimes it's, it, it looks like most of us just do it all the same way. And I don't say that to try to pile up any guilt on anybody about what they're doing because in and of itself, I don't see anything wrong with most of the things that we do and most of the activities that we participate in and the way we celebrate the holidays. But it has to boil down to what's in here. What do we know? What are we focused on? In the middle of all the busyness, in the middle of all the spending, in the middle of all the cooking and eating, in the middle of all the hanging out with family and friends, in the middle of all the decorating, in the middle of all the traveling to go see stuff and to have experiences that are related to the holidays, what's in here? What's going on in here? that comes up into the mind and eventually comes out of the mouth in communication and expression and relationships, what is it all about or what should it be about for us as kingdom sons and daughters? So we just came through Thanksgiving and <clears throat> people do what they do on Thanksgiving. A lot of us do the same things and there are some variations, I'm sure. But for me, um, Football is always on TV, and I didn't watch hardly any of it this year. I usually sit and watch a good bit of football on Thanksgiving, but I did. And I watched a few minutes of the uh, Cowboys game in the afternoon, and, and as much as I could stomach before I got nauseous of the Falcons later that evening. And um, But I saw something you always see during football games at Thanksgiving, and that is that the commentators – will say things related to being thankful and related to being grateful. 
And then they'll go to the sideline or they'll go to someone who's at a remote location and inevitably it's going to include showing folks cooking food over here that they're going to have for the feast after the game. And so you got turkey legs smoking over here and you got uh, stuff cooking over here and you got all, all this food and all this stuff. And so, And then they will talk about being thankful and being grateful for all the stuff. Inevitably, they're going to mention folks who are in the military who are not able to be home for Thanksgiving this year and their gratitude toward them for their service. And then they may have one of them who's over in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere who will say something via, you know, the news feed uh, to their families or wish America happy Thanksgiving and all that. In the middle of, of watching this and observing this, here's the one thing that you never hear, at least, I, at least I don't recall ever, and I know I didn't hear it this year, don't recall ever hearing it from the commentators. Now, you might hear it from a soldier or somebody like that or a player who's talking about his own situation, but you never hear, well, let me tell you what you do here. You hear people saying what they're thankful for right? So I'm thankful for good health. I'm thankful for this food. I'm thankful for my team. I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for this time of year. But here's what you don't hear. You don't hear them saying who they're thankful to. And I started to realize this year, what a gaping hole that leaves in the whole attitude and the whole, um, the whole thing of being thankful at all. Because wouldn't you agree that if you're going to be thankful for something, there has to be somebody, there has to be an entity that you're thankful to. Because you really can't just leave it that I'm thankful for this. Well, if you have it as a benefit, somebody's responsible for you having it. So if you say I'm thankful for it and you stop right there, you're really leaving out a big chunk of what should be included in that equation. And you just rarely hear people out in those kinds of environments talk about who they're thankful to in the midst of talking about what they're thankful for. So you trace Thanksgiving back through its history, and we know that the pilgrims first gathered and they gathered with some of the indigenous peoples that were already living here. There were actually more of them than there were the pilgrims. And all the history that follows that is what it is, but it started out as a pretty good thing. And they celebrated by eating food and having fellowship together. And then you roll on through the years, and George Washington implemented sort of an informal Thanksgiving expression in the United States. And then you had some presidents that skipped in. You know, Thomas Jefferson said he didn't, he didn't think that needed to be a, a thing of focus or a national holiday. I'm sure he had his reasons. I don't know what they were. But then through the years, it was kind of a hit-and-miss thing until you had Abraham Lincoln as the sitting president 
And he is the one who declared that Thanksgiving was going to be a national holiday on the on the 4th. I think he originally said the last Thursday in November, and then it was established as the 4th Thursday in November every year. And here's, here's the reason that President Lincoln, and another reason that I believe makes him uh, the greatest president, in my opinion, you can have your opinion, in the history of this country, there are a lot of reasons, uh, but one of those is his reason for establishing Thanksgiving, that, and that is, he says, we will have a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. So we're thankful for our country, we're thankful for our blessings, our benefits, and all these things, but we have to know who we're thankful to or we're missing the whole point because the whole concept of thankfulness is about directing gratitude and thanksgiving towards somebody, right? It's not just about the stuff. It's about the somebody that's responsible for any good gift that we have because we're told in the Scripture that every good gift comes from the same God and Father that Abraham Lincoln was talking about, and that is our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. That is the one that everything, every time we open our mouths and say the word thanks for any good things, thing in our lives, He should come to our mind. He should be the central focus of what we're talking about. Because every good thing comes from God. Breath comes from God. Life comes from God. Families established by God. Food as a provision that sustains life is given by God. Nature and beauty are from God. Fellowship is something created by God. Worship is something that is established by God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the God of the heavens. Amen? We cannot leave the God who gives the gifts out of the equation when we're talking about our gratitude for the gifts. It just doesn't work that way. So then Thanksgiving um, is the holiday that starts the holiday season. So you have Thanksgiving, then you have Christmas, and then you have New Year's. So you have three of the biggest holidays of the year that line up within a month's time. So you get to Christmas time. And Lord knows you can spend a whole lot of time talking about what all goes around, on around Christmas time. And some churches won't do this. They won't put up a Christmas tree. And I kind of, you know, I, I wouldn't judge them for that. I kind of get it if that's, if that's, I think that's their own personal decision. I think if you do want to put a Christmas tree and some poinsettias and some decorations in your church, I think that ought to be all right too, as long as you're not substituting that for the Lord God Almighty, who is the reason why Christmas exists at all, right? I think you can make things look bright and nice and beautiful as long as you retain your focus on why you're doing any of this stuff that you're doing. And so shopping is a big thing around Christmas, of course. Spending money is a big thing around Christmas, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a productive or a good, healthy thing to go spend money that you don't have any time of the year. So if you're racking up cre cre credit cards just to make sure you get Christmas done, well, there's something a little bit out of order with that. 
but in and of itself, purchasing gifts, giving gifts to your family, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't think we need to, to try to create some scenario where that's really a representation of the gifts that were first brought to Jesus by the wise men because that's going to be hard to align all that stuff together because, you know, them bringing some gifts that are going to bless him from then on through his life because some theologians and historians say that these gifts that they brought were so valuable that they sustained Jesus and his family for the duration of his life. That's how he could get through life. That's how he got through his ministry. That's how the financing came for what he was there to do. I don't know about all that, but I do know that gold and frankincense and myrrh are expensive gifts. So I don't think we can take that and align it with going and piling up a house full of toys for all of our children or some of the things that we do. But I don't really see anything wrong with purchasing gifts and giving them to our loved ones. Fine. As long as we retain the focus for why we're celebrating any of this at all. You know, you can go online right now and see your typical annual Black Friday bloody brawls in malls and stores across the country. Right? Let's celebrate the coming of the baby Jesus, the Messiah, by beating the tar out of each other over a game system or a flat screen TV. It's going to be hard for us to really try to align. You're going to have to work to try to align some of the stuff that we do with the real spirit of Christmas, right? So just stop trying to align it because it really starts to sound silly. You know, just go beat somebody up if you want to for a TV, but don't try to make that part of what Christmas is about. Just do it, you know. And, and so anything and everything that we do as kingdom sons and daughters, as believers, as followers of Christ, has to have at its center a focus on him, or it becomes illegitimate. It becomes polluted and tainted and something other than what it really is intended to be. So as we move into the Christmas month now, we're in December, and we do all of the things that we do, let's just make a commitment that, God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you were willing to send your son to this earth to live as a man, to be born into poverty, to struggle and to walk through life for 33 plus years, to deal with all the hardships and the stuff that all of us as human beings deal with, and then to take on himself the sins of the world so that we could experience freedom, so that we could find a pathway to get into the heart of God and live there in fulfillment, in joy, and satisfaction, and that we could have our eternal reward ahead of us because of that sacrifice that was made. We need to really every morning get up and renew that commitment or what's going to happen is we're going to get lost in all the shuffle. We're going to get lost in all the busyness and the spending and the activity that goes along with Christmas. And I don't know of anything more tragic than the idea of having the time of year that is set aside for celebrating the coming of the Messiah and us walk through all of that and us to enjoy all those activities and those things that go on, but to lose our focus on Him. 
That's tragic. Even the thought of it is just tragic. So we, you know, decided people make plans for us and we do them. So we went to, um, we went to, um, and I say, I don't mean that in the wrong way. I'll tell you what I'm getting to in a minute. Where did we go? Um, We went to Six Flags Friday night, believe it or not. I hate Six Flags. But there's a there's a little girl over there. She's about that tall and probably weighs 40 some pounds who is the most powerful force in my life. She is a, an influencer because the the weapon that's used on me now is, "Hey, everybody wants to go to Six Flags." Are you going? I'm like, heck no, I'm not going to Six Flags. I hate Six Flags. Why would I want to go to Six Flags? Well, Everly's going. Really? Yeah, and Everly's already said she wants Poppy to go. And we're going to be walking around Six Flags having all these great experiences, and Everly's going to look around once in a while and say, where's Poppy? So you know where I went Friday night? Six Flags. Because of her. She's the only reason. And I'm glad I did because when you're with a child that age and they're seeing all the stuff and they're riding rides and they just have this fascination and their eyes are big and they're grinning from ear to ear and it's just really cool and you want to be part of those experiences as they grow up. Right? And so we turn around, I thought, well, that was good. Then Saturday we'll be able to stay home and do, you know, relax. Well, we get the message from Lydia. Uh, we're going to the Christmas parade in Thomaston. Does everybody want to go? I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, I saw all those uh, four-wheelers and rangers last year <laughs> and tractors. Um, Everly's going. Everly's excited. Everly's going to look around and say, where's Poppy? So you know where I was at 7 o'clock last night? Standing on the sidewalk up here in Thomaston. <laughs> Watching Everly as she, she just stood there wide-eyed and fascinated by everything going by. And she would catch the eyes of the drivers and she's just waving. Of course, they just keep throwing candy at her. And it's cool. And things like that, you know, they're, they're, they're great Family experiences, especially if you have little ones like that, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm, you know, don't don't get legalistic about, you know, if the Bible just doesn't come out and say, hey, don't go to Christmas parades, just, then try not to just cover yourself up with all these rules and regulations and and all the legalistic stuff that some folks try to do. Just enjoy your family, enjoy your time, do the activities. But listen, we must keep. At the center of our focus, the reason why we're doing any of that. The only reason I have that beautiful child in my life is because God gave her to us. How can I have any experiences with her? How can I ever hear her call my name? How can I ever see that smile and those big eyes, the excitement on her face, and not just have it at least as part of what I'm thinking? Thank God. That he gave her to us. That, you know, as I'm, I'm 58 years old now and, you know, uh, 
my kids are up here now and, and they're starting to move on and to do their own things in life, that he would send this little one now to renew life and energy and excitement and give us something that we can still go and do things like that and it's just not it's not just absolute torture because she's there you know and we have a we have a, a pony because she's around and and we ordered a new saddle for the pony she's maybe she's not listening she's not supposed to know that but um all these really cool things that kind of keep you young somewhat and keep the blood flowing and make you want to get up some more when you may not want to, that's a gift from God. That's something we ought to live in perpetual gratitude for. And not everybody has that, but everybody has something that you can look to and say, you know what, this is a good gift. Every good gift comes from Him, so I'm going to give Him praise for it. I'm going to thank him for it. And, you know, a week after Christmas is over, we're going to be looking at New Year's. And New Year's, is it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to acknowledge the blessings of the past year and look forward to what's coming. Uh, but the way we celebrate it, you know, it, it might be easy to just get lost in in the activities and the elements of celebration that go along with it. Some people go... They travel to big cities like New York, and they gather in Times Square. I can't imagine. You might as well just—you might as well just draw and quarter me as to put me in the middle of a million people on the street in New York City, and in the cold and all that with that garbage entertainment going on, all that stuff. But that's what some folks do. Fine, I don't judge them for it. Whatever we do. The fact that we have the opportunity to approach a new year is a gift from God. The fact that we just lived through this past year, it may have had some struggles and some hardships and some trials. It also had a lot of blessings. We have the benefit that we're still alive. We're still breathing God's air going into the new year. And we have things to be thankful for. I think it would be tragic to get into New Year's Eve and to you know, pop the cork on some of that sparkling grape juice and to make some snacks and to watch the ball drop on the TV and to yell Happy New Year when it happens and not think about the blessing of God and how He's involved with every new day that we're able to live and not just every new year. So I want to finish up just briefly with a little recap of the story of Daniel and the lion's den, it, it doesn't sound like it would fit right here, but I think it does. And I just picked a verse to put up, the verse that shows us when um, when he's delivered from the lion's den. But we'll recap the chapter. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. So as I was thinking about focus and about making sure that we keep God at the center, this story came to mind. And you know the story, you know, just to recap it quickly. Uh, Daniel has been appointed to a very important position in Babylon. And the king trusts him and he loves him. 
And although Daniel is a Jew and, and he's really came in as a slave, he has worked his way up. He's gained the confidence of King Darius. And now he, he, he was appointed as one of the main leaders. And then he's appointed as the leader over the leaders. And so everybody else is jealous, right? So here comes jealousy in the door. And they start to try to formulate a plan uh, to get him out of the way. And so they go to the king and they say, hey, um, you need to write a law that says that anybody who prays to or worships any other god besides you has to, be, has to be executed. And the king, not thinking about what they're getting at, he issues that decree. And the decree goes out as a legal proclamation and it's emphasized two or three times that once the king has signed off on a proclamation like this, it cannot be reversed. And so the word comes to Daniel. Right here it says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted. So this is after he has been made aware that to pray to or to worship any other god besides the king is going to result in capital punishment. After he learns that, he continues to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. So here's Daniel who lives in a pattern of worship. He lives a lifestyle that always has God at the center. Always has God as his focus. No matter what's going on around him, God is his focus. No matter what any other people are doing or saying, God is his focus. Whatever his role is in the kingdom that he's living in, and however that changes as time goes on, because it's changed a few times since he came there, from the time he first interpreted dreams and started to gain the confidence of people in leadership, and he moved up the ranks, and there were lots of changes in his life, and lots of different people around him as he lived on through his life. God was always his focus. What a powerful lesson for you and me. That wherever we are, whatever's going on, whoever's saying whatever they're saying, whatever activity we're involved in, whatever job we're working, whatever the nature of our family life is like or our relationships are like with anybody, God is our focus. God is our focus. God is our focus. And He rises to the highest level other than King in the kingdom. And God is still His focus. So it doesn't depend on money doesn't depend on comforts, doesn't depend on people, doesn't depend on circumstances, doesn't depend on anything. God is his focus. So when the decree goes out, what changes for Daniel? Nothing. Nothing. He hears about it. He goes home. He gets on his knees, facing the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prays, and he gives thanksgiving and praise to his God. He doesn't change how many times a day. He doesn't change anything about his focus. He does not allow the circumstances of life, the hardships of life, to dictate his focus on his God. 
And so sure enough, they come, they spy on him, they witness what he's doing, they go back with a report to the king that says Daniel is worshiping and praying to another god. And the king has no choice but to issue the sentence. He tries to get out of it. It doesn't work. He can't. He issues the death sentence, and Daniel is sentenced to die in the lion's den. So he's thrown in, and all night long it says that the king could not sleep. And the king had no entertainment. You know, kings in those days, late in the evening, they sit around, they have parties, they have dancers come in, that have jesters, jokers come in and entertain them. The, uh, circuses, animals, all this kind of stuff. He had none of that. He was in deep depression because his guy, Daniel, that he loved and trusted was now in the lion's den. And so the next morning, he jumps up and he runs out and he runs to the lion's den and he calls out to Daniel and says, has your God saved you? And Daniel replies and says, yes, of course. <laughs> My God, that is my focus. You see, it's, it's, it really it strikes me how Daniel is even at this moment so calm and so full of assurance and so confident in his God. It's like from the time before the decree is signed to the time that the decree is signed and he's still praying in his home to the time that he's brought in and he's accused just like Jesus was falsely and condemned to death to the time that he's thrown in the lion's den with animals that have the power to destroy him in an instant, in terms of his focus on his God, nothing changes. I want to tell you today, it's, it's my lesson I hope you'll take with you for today and carry it with you from now on is that if you'll make that a lifestyle, it will change your whole life. That if you will focus on God, I'm not talking about being happy all the time. I'm not talking about everything going right all the time. As a matter of fact, it's going to require more of a commitment when things are not going right than it is when they are. But if you will retain your commitment to keep God at the center no matter what's going on in your life, it will change your life. You will discover hope. You'll discover optimism. You'll discover reassurance. You'll dis discover self-confidence. Problems will still come. But in the middle of it, you're going to praise and worship your God and give Him thanksgiving because He's not responsible for the bad, but he's responsible for every good gift. And so Daniel just calmly replies and says, yes, my God, he's always been here, so it's nothing new. My God has saved me from the mouths of the lions. He closed the lions' mouths so they, they would not harm me. Why? Because I was obedient to him, because I'm guilty of nothing, because I kept him as the central focus in my life. And I just believe that if Daniel, if a lion had attacked him and was tearing him to shreds, he would have gone out praising and worshiping and giving thanks to his God. Because not all of us who feel like we've been thrown in a lion's den always come out without a scratch. 
It doesn't mean God's not God. Doesn't mean he's not faithful. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. So, Daniel's story can be our story, or we can live our own story, you know. We can, we can keep ourselves at the focus, as we've said many times. There are, only, there are only two kingdoms, kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has God at the center. Kingdom of man has me at the center. I don't trust myself, so I'm making a renewed commitment to the kingdom of God and to keep God as the central focus. How about you? Amen. Father, we bless you for your words, for your encouragement, for your Holy Spirit that's anointed it. We thank you that we can take these things and we can embrace them and we can allow them to change us and strengthen us. We thank you that every good gift comes from you. And so we acknowledge you for that, but we also know that when we walk through hardship, you're still there. You're with us. The counsel of your Holy Spirit is always available. I pray that we would focus on you every day from the time we get up until the time we lie down, that you would be the center of everything and we give you thanks for that and we worship you so as we walk through this holiday season the remainder of it whatever activities we're involved in and whoever's involved in it with us i pray that our focus would be renewed morning by morning that you are god and you're worthy of our worship in your name we pray amen <laughs>